Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm so thankful that we're here today and in order to hear the, the word of the Lord and to fellowship with one another and to talk about the Lord and the things of the Lord. And I'm so thankful every time I get together with God's children and get to speak about God's word. I'm so thankful that I get to do those things. It's such a privilege and an honor for me to do so. You know, in other countries, we don't, people, Christians don't have that honor. They, they, they have to struggle and suffer to have that honor. In Islamic countries and in communist countries, Christians don't have the freedoms that they have here that we have in America. And so they have to like hide to meet and, and, and gather in secret gatherings. And they still, it's still a joy for them and still a blessing for them, but nevertheless, it's still hard for them. But here, here in America, we gather in freedom and peace. And thanks be to God. And you know, um, I know you may be listening from another country, in a communist country, or an Islamic country, and I and I want to thank you, and I want to tell you that I appreciate that you continue to gather together, even though, even though, you gather together, and it could be dangerous, or you could lose your life, or you could be persecuted for it. So I want to, I want to praise God and thank God for you. So anyway, keep going, soldier, and uh, if you're listening from an Islamic country out there, and I just want to thank God for you, and, and I pray for you every day, and I want to let you know that. Anyway, um, let's get to our prayer. Let's open up what our prayer before we uh, start our message, and let's thank God for having us here and ask Him to bless the message, and then we'll get going to my thoughts from last week's message, Christ in the Passover. Lord, dear God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving us another day. Lord, thank you so much for all those in my home listening here in McKinney, Texas. And thank you, Lord God, so much for all those listening abroad, all over the world, coming from SoundCloud or, or any other application, Lord, wherever they're coming from, Lord, on the Internet. Lord, thank you for them, too. And I want to praise you for them, Lord God. And, and thank you, that, Lord God, that, you've, um, that you have them listening to me, Lord, and you've brought them to me, Lord. And we get to, we get to have communion together, Lord, as, we, as they listen to me and as I speak, Lord. We have a spiritual connection, Lord, even though they're not here in my home, Lord. We have a spiritual connection, Lord, and, and thank you for that. And, Lord God, I just pray that you'd bless them today, Lord God, everybody coming from the Internet and, and all over the world, Lord. Anyway, Lord, just pray that you'd speak to us by your word today. Speak to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit today. And teach us, Lord God, teach us what you want us to learn. Teach us what you would have us to know. And Lord, draw those that are us that are that are yours closer to you, Lord, by this message. And Lord, I pray that you'd even bring those that aren't yours to listen to this message, that they would be one to you. Lord, I praise you and I thank you and I love you. And we love you as a church, Lord, and we love you as your body of Christ all over the world. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35 at first, and then we'll We'll go on for, for more. We have a little bit more to read in Matthew, but it's not going to really be a, a it shouldn't shouldn't be a switch in your page. It should just be just a few more verses down. We're going to go through some some more of Matthew than we normally do. But our main verses are going to be Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, um, and then a few more later. And we'll read those after my thoughts from last week's message, Christ in the Passover. So someone came to me after last week's service. And talk to me about the information that I covered. You know, David Brickner covered Christ in the Passover and praise God for him and praise God for Jews for Jesus, you know. 
God has touched Jewish people's lives. He's, he's touching all kinds of Jewish people's lives today. Just many are not responding while many are. You know, and David Brickner and many Jews and Jews for Jesus have responded. So praise God for him. And um, anyway, this person comes to me and he asked me some questions about the information that we covered from last week's message. You know, Christ and the Passover. And he, he told me, this person told me, that many of the traditional practices that David Brickner covered last week in our Christ and the Passover message were not and they did not exist in the Holy Bible. For instance, all the different, the, 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 the padding and the chair and, you know, the husband taking the feather and, and scooping the leaving and the wife doing a clean and all. And that wasn't really, all those things really weren't that way and written and directed that way in the Bible. And that's what he said. And I couldn't argue with him because he's right. Most of the traditional practices that the Jews celebrate today for the Passover aren't in the Holy Scriptures. They're not in the Bible. Only God gave only a few, and they were pretty basic back in Exodus. And many of what many of the things that David Brickner talked about last week were not and have never been and are not in the Jewish Scriptures. They're not in the Bible. God never told the Jews to do those things, most of those things, in the Bible. So you may be asking yourself, how then did the Jews come to practice most of the current traditional practices found in the Passover celebration of today? Well, there's a good question. That's a good question with a good answer. See, the ancient rabbis, priests, scribes, you know, the Jewish leaders, their job was to the Jews like mine is to you, to teach the Jews and explain the scriptures to the Jews. And, and you know to help them understand. And the Passover is part of the ancient scriptures that the ancient Jewish leaders and religious leaders helped the Jews to understand. So as they were led by God, okay, by the Holy Spirit of God, they added certain practices to the current or to the Passover tradition that God gave Moses in Exodus that weren't in the Bible to simply help the Jews to understand and comprehend the true meaning of the Passover. Now, does that make the added practices that the Jews threw in there evil or bad or terrible or ungodly then? I mean, you could think, well, certainly God, you know, in the book of Revelations, if you're a Christian listening, you know, you know God says in the book of Revelations, if anyone adds to the words of this book, then I will add to him the plagues. Well, no. They added the practices, but the practices were all just aimed again at, at, and as we saw from David Brickner and what I talked about last week, the practices and the traditions of both the old and new, the ones God given and the ones that the elders added later, just simply explain or capture the true essence or meaning of the Passover. It's kind of like a sermon. When I read the Bible, if I were to just read over 10 verses to you on a Sunday morning and not explain them to you, then we just basically have a Bible reading. But I don't do that. We don't come to church just to hear the Bible be read. We come to church to hear the Bible be read, and then we come to church to hear the Bible explained. And this is no different than what the Jewish leaders and elders did later after Moses. They added these certain practices to help the Jews understand. And Because if you dissect the practices okay, of the Passover that the Jews now celebrate, both old and new, they're all aimed at simply helping the people understand God's plan of redemption. 
That's really what they're aimed toward, the three questions, you know, that the son asks the father. And, you know, why is this night any different than any other? And, you know, the, the, the pads and the chairs, because now they're free. They're not slaves anymore. You know, all those things are, are there to help God's people, the Jews, and even us now, Gentiles now too, that are grafted in or anybody that's seeking, help us to understand God's redemption, both past and present. You know, the redemption that God saved the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and now God's redemption through Christ, through his blood, to save sinners from their sins. And of course, that redemption in the present would be what? Jesus Christ in his final work to save mankind from their sins. But there's one thing that I found neat. Keep in mind, as I talked about last week, and now it even brings up, you know, it even brings it to me, gives it more significance to me. Listen to this. Even if whether we take the old practices that God gave the children of Israel in Exodus, or we look at the new practices that God, by his Holy Spirit, you know, inspired the Jewish leaders to tell the people, you know, the, the, the bread, we'll, we'll get to them in a minute, but all the newer practices that the Jews added later to help the Jews understand what the redemption of the Passover meant, if you examine both of those, as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, whichever ones you examine they speak of or they foreshadow Jesus Christ. Even, I'll say, as I just said, the Jews adding the newer practices, Jews again now, not Christians. So Jews who do not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah added in the newer practices and even the newer practices as well as the old, they all speak of and foreshadow Jesus as the Christ, as the one promised Messiah, as the great Redeemer of Israel. Look at them really quick with me. Look at both the old or original practices and the new or added practices. First, the originals in Exodus given by Moses. Remember, God said the Passover lamb must be in the prime of life, his first year. Well, Jesus Christ was in the prime of his life when he died. In his 30s, that's the, that is the prime life time for a man is in his 30s, his early 30s. Jesus fits that bill. The lamb had to be without blemish, remember, perfect. Couldn't have a broken bone. It couldn't have scars. It couldn't have been mangled. It couldn't have been, you know, legs torn off. It had to be a full, whole sheep or lamb without blemish. Well, Christ lived the perfect life without sin, and he was without blemish. Lamb must have been watched, remember, for 14 days or scrutinized. Remember, they were supposed to watch it. They were supposed to bring it in and keep it and watch it, right? And they were supposed to scrutinize it and make sure, I guess, I don't know why they did that, but that's what they were supposed to do. That's what God told them to do in Exodus now. Well, Jesus, look what he was. He was scrutinized and watched for all the three and a half years that he was in ministry, ministering to his disciples and ministering to those that were seeking by the, the religious leaders. Now, five. Uh, four, the lamb must be slain or killed to make death. Remember, it was to make the death pass over the Hebrew, the, the Israelites, right? Uh, just like now Christ is slain. And because of his blood, death passes over those that come to him, right? So that death would not have any hold over us or hell would not have any hold over us when we were to die. Five, the last one, blood of the perfect lamb was to be put on the sides and the top of the doorpost, making what? The sign of the cross. If the blood was here on the left doorpost and, and on the top doorpost and on the side doorpost, well, that's the top of a cross. And, of course, Jesus Christ was crucified 
on a cross. cross. So all those things in all those practices of the ancient Jews, what God gave Moses coming out of Exodus, we see a picture of Christ in that Passover. But now, you know, and I, I, and I just love talking about these, the new ones that were added by the Jewish leaders or the Jewish religious leaders that were also inspired by the Holy Spirit later. And, and look at how they match up to Christ. I know we talked about it. It's just so awesome to me to think about it. Think about the bread that they were supposed to have, that they were supposed to eat, that they were supposed to break. It's supposed to be unleavened, which was a sign of no sin. Well, Christ was no sin, without leaving, sinless, right? Remember, they were so concerned about it having no leaving that they pierced it. Well, Christ was pierced through by sinners on the cross. Now, were the sinners reading the ancient Bible going, all right, we need to, we need to make sure we do this to Jesus because we're trying to foreshadow him as the Passover lamb? No, of course they weren't. Of course they weren't. They were just doing what they what God had showed them to do. They had no choice in the matter. It was kind of like, you know, God's sovereignty. You must do this. Boom, stick him. He's got to be pierced, right? Second thing that, you know, matches up with Christ. Um, remember, it was supposed to be that it was baked, and it was baked on a high heat, right, where it was striped. And we know that by, by his stripes were healed, right? Jesus was whipped and beaten, and all the stripes of the Gentiles, of the evil sinners were laid upon him and he bled and he died for us. And so each piece of bread being unleavened, striped and pierced exactly as Jesus Christ was sinless, beaten and then pierced and then he died, right? Or he was dead and then they pierced him. Then that special bread, right? That special unleavened or sinless bread to represent sinlessness was put in one bag. And that one bag, now this is added, was put in three parts. But yet they were only supposed to take the middle part. And yet it's the Father, the Son is the middle part, and the, and the Holy Spirit. And that middle part was supposed to be taken out of that bag, broken, put in a bag, in a linen bag at that at yet. Jesus was what? Wrapped in linen when they buried him in the tomb and then that bread was supposed to be put in the bag now this is all added by the jews yet it perfectly lines up with exactly what jesus christ went through right then hidden and then brought back which signifies why why are they hiding it why did they take the second piece well because god by his holy spirit divined it to say hey it's foreshadowing my son it's foreshadowing what my son went through Number three, the four cups that they were all to drink, right? Well, and remember, we talked about it in communion today, that third cup, which stood for redemption. And then Jesus Christ took that cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. Because why? Because Jesus was a great redeemer of mankind. Look at the, the pad on the chair. Instead of standing uh, like God told them to do, because at that time they were slaves, well, then after God redeemed them, they were free. So look, we're free. We're free in Christ, the Bible says. And we don't have to stand as slaves anymore when we eat. We can sit with a padded chair and relax and lean back in that culture, which meant that we were free. We weren't slaves anymore to the world. And all these things, there's so many similarities that both, at, that, it, that both whether you look at the added or the original practices of the Passover that all speak of Christ and what the Bible says that he did for humanity in salvation, in redemption. I just look at those things, whether added or original, and I think, wow, God, you had your hand in that. And you know what that shows me? It shows me God's love. Because God wants to reveal himself to you. 
That's what you. That's what God did last week. If you listened last week, or that's what God did, is doing right now. If you're listening this week and you didn't, weren't here last week, God is saying, "Hey, look at me. Look at my son. Look what I did. I showed all these things so that you would know that my son Jesus Christ is the one to save humanity, the one to save mankind. And look, look what he did. And look at his blood. You must be covered by his blood. I just totally see God showing us, I love you. And I used all the practices, all the practices of the old covenant under the old covenant of the Passover. And then I used all, I'm using all the new practices added by the Jews to show you my redemption and my love for you and how I foreshadowed Christ so that you would know that just that can't be anybody for the Savior of mankind. It had to be my son. And this son matches all these things that I wrote down hundreds and thousands of years, or thousands, I should say, of years before Christ ever came. Praise be to God. He is a God of love. The Bible says, John 4, I believe, he is a God of love, and he wants to reveal himself to us. Anyway, let's get into our sermon from this week. Um, our new title this week is, It Happened Just As Christ Said. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read verses 31 to 35 now. And then later, we'll read some other verses later. And I'll tell them to you then. Uh, But title again, It Happened Just As Christ Said. So, as I just mentioned, last week we read of Christ in the Passover, in the Jewish Passover. And how the practices, both old and new, or added, spoke of, or foreshadowed Jesus Christ. In essence... In all these practices, like I just said, God shows me another aspect of his love and faithfulness faithfulness for humanity. And as we read over Matthew 26, 31 through 35, I want you to see if we see something different today. We saw God's faithfulness last week, but I want you to read 31 through 35 and see if you can think in your mind what we see this week, okay? Read verse 31 through 35 with me in Matthew chapter 26. It says, Then Jesus said to them, now this would be his 12 disciples. They had just gotten done eating Passover meal. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That means they're going to leave. But after I have been raised... I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now again, last week we looked at God's faithfulness. This week, what did we see from man? Didn't we see just the opposite spectrum of God's faithfulness? Did you not see it in there? We saw God's faithfulness last week. What did we see this week? We saw man's unfaithfulness. For there, right there in 31, Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me. That means all of you are leaving me. You guys are all going to be offended with me and you're all going to leave. 
And then he goes on to speak about a prophecy that God foretold of in Zechariah uh, 13.7, where Zechariah writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts, speaking of the Messiah. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little one. Zechariah, in case you're interested, uh, prophesied about 587 B.C. So here Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, this night is coming soon. You're all going to be offended with me. You're all going to stumble because of me. You're all going to flee me. You're all going to be unfaithful to me tonight. Again, God's faithfulness last week. Man's unfaithfulness this week. So, did this happen just like Jesus Christ said it would? Did this, the she- them striking the shepherd, which he was the great shepherd, and the sheep would be scattered, did that happen exactly as Jesus Christ said it would? Absolutely it did. We'll study in a couple weeks from now, but just for quick for now, we're going to read just, just a short little verse. Uh, right after Jesus wouldn't allow the disciples to fight off the soldiers. Remember, the soldiers come. Peter pulls out his sword, kind of chops off Malchus' ear, or Malchus' high, uh, uh, I believe it was Malchus' his right ear. Jesus picks it back on and puts it on and says, Jesus, put your sword back in your sheath. First, it's not time to fight, Peter. It's not time to fight. So right after Jesus stops the disciples from fighting back, because it was meant for them to take him. They wanted to stop the, the you know, Judas betrays him, right? And Jesus and the disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come with Judas. Judas gives him a kiss. And right as they start to fight, Jesus says, hey guys, stop. For let it be. For this is meant to be. Because, you know, he had to go to die for the sins of mankind. Right after that, Matthew twenty six fifty six. Then all the disciples forsook him. And fled. So what they do? They struck the shepherd, and the sheep were scattered. Or they all, according to Matthew twenty six fifty six, all the disciples forsook him, and they fled. Which means they left him alone. They got out of there. Wow, how sad is that? So yes, it happened. Just as Jesus Christ said it would. Bible says God is always right. Okay, God can never be wrong. See, He knows the end from the beginning, right? And especially knew the you know the things that were going to be involved with the redemption of mankind through the death of His Son. So of course God knows the end from the beginning, and He had His knowledge of his plan of salvation for mankind all mapped out. So, of course, how could he be wrong, right? How could God be wrong or how could God lie or that those things are impossible? Did God have the disciples' unfaithfulness covered? Yes, he did, to verse 32. But after I, then Jesus goes on to tell him, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus just told them that no matter what they were going to do, because he knew that they were going to all forsake him, no matter what they were going to do, hey guys, I know what you're going to do, but you know what? No matter what you're going to do, I'm going to be faithful and finish the race that God gave me to, to race, to finish, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. And you could say, he said, I'll see you at the finish line. I know you're going to be unfaithful towards me, I know you're all going to forsake me. I know you're all going to leave me, but I'm going to stay the course and I'll see you at the end of the line. 
Paul tells us, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 11-13, this is a faithful saying, he says. For if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But here's the key. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. So even if we are faithless, I'm often without faith in prayer. I pray and my mind tricks me. And as I pray, the devil gets me. And I often think, oh, and, I, and, I, and I'm so unfaithful. And I have no faith when I'm praying sometimes. Often. But yet, no matter how much I'm unfaith, or faithless, as Paul just wrote, Jesus and God, they're faithful. They, they're never unfaithful. Okay, We blow it. We'll sin, and we'll lose faith, and we'll sin, but God never sins, for God is faithful. Now, as we read here, Jesus just said, Paul just writes this, he says, if we deny him, he will deny us. Ultimately, if we live a lifestyle of denial of him, then he will deny us even unto death in hell. And unfortunately, we saw that with the disciples, as they even forsook him, After Christ rose from the dead, Jesus had to rebuke them for their unbelief. They had to repent, and especially Peter, as we're going to read on, because he was the, he was the, uh, he was the, the, you know, like the, like the spearhead here, spearing the disciples on, as we'll see here in a little bit. He was like the spearhead, spearing the disciples on to do something that was really ungodly. The disciples were not exempt. They all had to repent. They forsook him. They denied him after he resurrected. They had to repent. And that's what people have to do. If you live a lifestyle of denial of Christ, God will send you to hell because that's you're denying Christ. You don't want him. You have to repent if you're living a lifestyle of denial of Christ or else you're end up going to go to hell. But no matter what, as I just said, as Paul just said, 2 Timothy, Tim, 2 Timothy 2, Jesus Christ here in Matthew 26, as they both said, if we are faithless... Jesus Christ is faithful no matter what. You see, God and Christ, they will always do the right thing. They will always do what needs to be done, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how insurmountable the odds may seem. God will always do what's right. Christ will always finish the race. He will always be faithful and They will always be righteous and they will never sin. Amen? God is good because he, know what? He never lets us down. Anyway, so Jesus tells all the disciples that they're going to forsake him. And since he is God, there's no sense telling telling him he's wrong, right? I mean, after all, are you going to tell God he's wrong? God tells you something. Are you going to tell him he's wrong? Amen. I won't. I wouldn't do that, right? But, and there's no sense arguing with him, right? Because, I mean, after all, he can't lie. He's right all the time, right? Well, you would think so. You would think, you know, hey, I know it's God. Hey, it's Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh. No sense to argue with him. No sense to fight with him. You would think so because he always, whatever he says, always comes to pass. But then, even though we say that, what do we read about? We read about Peter in verse 33. Peter says to him, after Jesus tells the disciples, after he says something's going to happen, Peter jumps in there and says, verse verse 33, Peter answers and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. So what you just said, Jesus, 
I won't do that. I know you said it, and I know you're God in the flesh, but I, I disagree with you, Lord Jesus. I disagree with you. In fact, you know what? You're wrong. Can you believe that Peter just told Jesus this? Peter here makes me scratch my head in confusion. You may be saying, why? Well, he knew more than anyone that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Where, you say? Well, remember, remember remember Peter's confession of faith when Jesus asked him, hey, who do men say that I am? And then, you know, and then Peter says, oh, some say Elijah and some say John the Baptist and some say the prophet. And, da, da, da. and then Jesus says, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter knew more than anyone that Jesus was the Christ that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God in the flesh. And since Peter knew Jesus was God in the flesh, and Peter knew Jesus or God can't lie, and they can't sin, if you know those things about God, can God ever be wrong? Can God ever be wrong? Think about that. He can't lie. He can't sin. He always is righteous. He's always love. Can he be wrong? Absolutely not. Bible says it's impossible for God to lie or do wrong or be wrong or sin or anything. It's impossible for God to, to, to you know, Bible says that God can't even make you sin. We get stuck in sin when we follow the lusts of our flesh. And the devil's out there, and he's trying to make us stumble. But God, he doesn't even tempt us to sin. He does test us, the Bible says. But the Bible says that God can't even tempt us to sin. Not only can he not sin, he can't even tempt us to sin. And Peter knew this. Peter loved God. Peter loved Christ. Yet here... He argues with Jesus and tells him that he's wrong. Makes me scratch my head. You know that old song that I don't, I don't listen to secular, much secular music anymore, but that old song, things that make you go, hmm. This is one of those things that makes me go, hmm, and scratch my head because it's confusing. So what does Jesus say to Peter telling him what he says? Won't come to pass. Because that's what basically what Peter did. Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, whatever you say there, that's, that's not me. I, I, I know that you said that's what I'm going to do, but that's not what I'm going to do. Jesus, you're wrong. So what does Jesus reply to Peter after Peter tells Jesus he's wrong? Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Assuredly, uh, how would I say that word? Assuredly means absolutely, 100%. There's no way that you're not going to do what I said. Jesus tells him for sure. He gives him a guarantee that Peter will indeed deny him and forsake him. And he goes a step further, doesn't only just guarantee that he will do that. He gives him the exact 
event that will proceed or come before his denial of Christ by telling him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Wow. Did this event come to pass just as Christ said it would? Absolutely. If you guys want to go to Matthew chapter 26, which we're there, and go down to verses 69 through 75, we're going to read about this event coming to pass just as Jesus Christ said it would come to pass. So Matthew 26, 69 through 75. For my Bible, it's kind of right there because it's in the same chapter. So let's read over the fulfillment of what Christ said was going to happen. Let's hear what Jesus, let's see, let's hear the fulfillment of this, what Jesus says here. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. That's number one. Saying, I do not know what you are saying. Now, and you know, in denial, that's, he just lied. So not only did Peter deny him once there, but he also lied. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what are those things that you say? I, who is this man, Jesus? I don't, I don't know. After he walked with him for three and a half years, he said, oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying. Verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Second time. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Wow! I do not know the man. Second time he denies him. And not only the second time he denies him, he lies about not knowing him. This is Peter. I will go and I'll die with you, Jesus. I won't only deny, I'll go and I'll die with you. Bet your boy Peter had to eat his words, and you know he did. Verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, meaning, you know, one of his disciples, for your speech betrays you. Because, you know, Peter was uh, a fisherman from Galilee, and all the Galileans and the fishermen had a certain way that they spoke. And he says, your speech betrays you. We know that you're of Jesus. We know that you're one of his disciples. They're like, we got you, sucker. But verse 74, the third time, then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. Three times he denies Christ. Three times he lies about not knowing Jesus. The same man that said, even if all are made to stumble, even if all are made to stumble, I won't. Lord, I'm I'm willing to die with you. Let's go. I'm willing to die with you right now. Yet, not only did he flee from him in the garden that we read about in Matthew 26, I believe it was 2656, but then he also right here after that denies him three times and lies three times saying, I do not know this man. And immediately, right after he did that, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. He realized that Jesus was right and he was wrong. 
How sad is that? Peter, a devoted disciple of three and a half years of Christ, walked with him, ate with him, sat on the holy mountain where God revealed himself to to Jesus and the three disciples, and he comes out of the cloud and his voice booms out of the cloud. He says, Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And Peter jumps up, oh Lord, should I make tabernacles for you and Moses and Elijah, right? And yet right here, right here, I do not know this man. So what Jesus Christ said would happen came to be. And Peter denies Christ three consecutive times and lies about it. And what? At a point when Jesus Christ really could have used the disciples' support. They all forsook him, and Peter, one of his most faithful followers, lies and then has to leave because of his lies and his denials. So now, after Jesus gives Peter a for sure, 100% guarantee that he will deny him and tells him of an event that will come before his denial, back to our scripture today, does Peter believe him? Does Peter admit, well, you know, I mean, after all, Jesus just gave me a guarantee. You know, after all, I mean, he's God and... And he gave me a guarantee, you know, assuredly. That means, hey, it's going to happen. It's a guarantee. Does he admit his error? Does he admit that he's wrong? Does he believe Christ and think he's wrong? Because after all, God can't be wrong. And does he ask for forgiveness? No, look at verse 35 of today's scripture. Our last verse. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So not only did Peter go ahead and spearhead on a rejection of what Christ told him. No, Jesus, what you said is not true. No, Jesus, you're wrong. But he also, because that's sinful. I got to tell you that, guys, that's sinful. You telling God he's wrong and you're right, that's sinful. God can never be wrong. He can never lie, as I've already said. You and me, we can be wrong all the time. I'm wrong daily. I'm wrong moments and hundreds of times a day sometimes maybe. But God, he never misspeaks. He doesn't utter false words. He doesn't lie. And here, instead of of Peter just just himself spearheading on the, you know, Jesus, you're wrong. But what does he do that last part of 35? It says, even if I deny, I, I, will, I will never deny you. And so said all the disciples. He spearheaded on all the disciples, telling Jesus that Jesus was wrong. He goes on and he insists that Jesus is wrong, and yet he is right, and he inspires the other disciples to tell Jesus he's wrong also. Yet, as we already read, Matthew 26, 69 through 75, we already know the end of the story. No matter what they all said, it happened just as Christ said it would. And all the disciples forsook him and they left him alone. How sad is that? In closing, what can we learn from this section of scripture? What can we learn from Peter's denial of Jesus being right? And then what can we learn from him denying Christ and forsaking him and lying three times? I do not know this man. I see at least two different things here. I see one from God's side 
and I see one from our side. From God's side, we need to learn this from this section of Scripture. If God or Christ says something's going to happen, it'll happen. Period. The end. And I love my, I love this saying, I picked it up some time ago. No ifs, ands, buts, or coconuts about it. If God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. He knows the future. He knows what's coming next. And guess what? We do not. I don't know if 10 minutes from now I'll still be alive. I don't know if 10 minutes from now Christ won't return. I don't know anything past this moment right here and the past. And even a lot of that I've forgotten. But Christ not only knows the past, but he also knows the present, and he knows the future. So if he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Again, no ifs, ands, buts, or coconuts about it. In my experience in the past, years ago, I was being, I had a rough time in another church, and I remember at the pinnacle, the high of this high that I was on in ministry, God spoke to me in my car as I sit beneath and in the parking lot as I was about to go home after a meeting, and God spoke to me and he said, the rain is coming. Now I thought it was a good thing. I thought it was a real good thing. The rain's coming all right. How much better can it get? Praise God, the rain is coming. Yet this wasn't a good thing. This was a bad thing. I was excited when God told me the rain was coming. I didn't know what it meant. Then shortly after that, a whole bunch of bad things happened. And I was actually, God said, it's time to go. And so the rain rained for a long time. It rained for a long time. It wasn't a good rain either because it was a flood. It was a real bad flood. And I was swept away many times. But nevertheless, God told me, he warned me, the rain is coming. And so if Christ says it, it will happen. If God says something will happen, it will happen. End result. No matter whatever God says is going to happen, no matter whatever Christ says is going to happen, it's going to happen. But it's not just with the things that he'll tell us, maybe personally, that we must believe that will come to pass, as he says. There are other things that God and Christ will say, they'll say something will happen, and we must believe that those things will happen just as he says it will happen. For instance, things out of his word. For instance, he says that at one point there's going to be coming an end of the world. He says that at one point he's going to destroy all creation, right? And he's going to bring a new heavens and a new earth. Well, we can sit and we can doubt. Wow, we, we can look up, oh, man, that's a lot. All creation, well, man, creation's kind of big. Oh, really, could, they, could God really do that? No, nope, you've got to stop yourself. Because whatever Christ says will happen, will happen. That's, that's why I titled today's sermon the way I titled it. Whatever Christ says will happen, this is what's going to happen, period, the end. And, and in his word, he has all kinds of prophesy, prophecies. In his word, he, he gives all kinds of promises to us, his children. And, he, and in those promises that he gives us, and in the prophecies that he gives us, things that he says are going to happen, or promises that he says to you, you must, if Christ said it, it's going to happen. Because just as he says things are going to happen, they will happen. Period. The end. If God says there's going to be end of the world, there's going to be an end of the world. 
if God says that in the last days the evil's going to abound and you know men will grow cold and their love will grow cold and it's going to happen as we see it's happening. If the Bible says, because God said that the end of the world is going to be, there's going to be a one world economy, then by golly, God said it, Christ said it, there's going to be a one world economy. If God said there's going to be a one world religion, because he said there's going to be a one world religion in the end, then God said it, Christ said it, it's going to happen. You have to, as a follower of Christ, as a follower of God, Almighty in Christ, you must believe the things that Christ and God say are going to happen. You must believe that they will happen. That's from God's side. So, first thing we can learn from this sermon of what we learn here from Christ. If God or Christ say something will happen, it will happen. And we must trust in it and believe it with all our hearts. And not reject or doubt because doubt and reject that sin. We must not reject God's word. and We must not reject the things that God tells us and tell him he's wrong, like Peter and the disciples did here. Because if we end up telling God he's wrong, guess what? We're going to end up having to repent. Because you know what? When you tell God he's wrong, he proves you wrong. You don't ever prove God wrong. And I challenge you. They're listening all over the world. You show me a time you proved God wrong. And we'll have to talk about that because there's nobody that can prove God wrong. That's the first thing we learn from our sermon today. Now, there's a second thing that we need to learn from this sermon in regards to us. On man's side, that was from God's side. Now, we have to respect him and trust him and whatever he says, that's what it is. And that's going to come to pass if he said it. But there's one thing we could see from our side. Today, we read of how Peter and all the disciples all denied Christ, and they forsook him, or they walked away from him. What can we learn from this? I want you to think about this. If Jesus' very own disciples that walked with him for three and a half years all left him and forsook him at a moment in their life, and then they had to repent and come back, it can happen to anyone that's following Christ ever. From the time his disciples died all the way to the last person born at this moment right now, if he's going to follow Christ or he or she's going to follow Christ, if his original disciples fell away from Christ for a moment or at all, period, the end, then it can still happen to us now if we're walking with God. Now, because you know what? Walking with God, walking with Christ is not an easy thing to do. In fact, I'll tell you this. No matter what you have to do in life, Walking with God and walking with Christ is the hardest thing. Fighting the good fight of faith and following Christ and following God and doing what he said is the hardest thing a person will ever have to do in their lives. So we learn that we're not exempt from falling away from Christ, just like the disciples weren't exempt from falling away from Christ. So in my closing, I want to exhort all my brothers and sisters in Christ out there that are listening to me today. My exhortation is this. Please be careful not to grow cold in your love for God. Don't grow cold or lax in your love for Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.1, it's not just me, and it's not just the example of the disciples, because we know that all the disciples wrote all the epistles in the Bible. 
So if they knew it was possible for them to fall away, you think they knew it was possible for us to fall away too? Absolutely, because they know we're human. Hebrews 2.1, written by one of the followers of Christ, we read, Therefore, we must give the most the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. You can tell that was written by a disciple. Why? Because they knew, hey, we forsook Christ at one time. So you know what? We need to make sure that we're taking the more, more earnest heed to what God tells us in his word and stay firm and strong in our minds in Christ and in our faith in Christ. Because if we don't, are you or me greater than Paul? Greater than Peter who eventually allowed himself to be crucified upside down for Christ? Or Barnabas who I believe was filleted alive? Well, I can tell you right now, I don't got that kind of faith right now. So if those guys had more faith than me, and I do now, and they all forsook Christ, then it can happen to anyone. It can happen to you, me, or anyone in this world. Because you know what? None of us have walked with Christ in the flesh that he lived in back then. That was only for a certain amount of people back then. And those people all forsook him and denied him. And so it can happen to us. Again, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. This is Peter talking now, right? The same one here that denied him. Well, I wonder what Peter has to say on being diligent or, you know, making sure we don't fall away. He says, be sober. That means be clear-minded. Be vigilant. That means be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, he commands, steadfast in the faith. So Peter knew, hey, he got me. The devil got me. Devil tricked me. Hey, guys, be careful, Christians. Be careful that you don't grow cold in your love for Christ and resist that devil because that devil's going to come and he's going to try to destroy your faith. Resist him and stand steadfast in the faith. So any of us can fall into the same trap that the disciples did and deny Christ if we're not careful to stand strong in the faith and walk with him in a relationship and love. Think of this. The Bible wouldn't warn us of something that cannot happen. So it's real and can happen to you and me and anybody. So we must just make sure to be careful. Well, that's my exhortation to Christians. Now, maybe you're out there and you can say, well, you know what? I'm not a Christian, Pastor Ed. You know, I'm, I'm listening, but, you know, I, I find the Bible interesting, but, you know, I've never committed my life to Christ. Maybe you've never known the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, even though I told you today that following Christ would be the hardest thing that you will ever have to do in your life, I can tell you again also on the other, on the other token, on the other side of the token, it's worth it 1,000% if there was such a thing. It's worth it 1,000% because... God's peace and promises of hope are always available to you through anything that you could ever have to go through. We, we've read of in our scriptures, we've had sermons, uh, we had a sermon, El Roy, the God who sees. Jesus said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. God says, I will be with you always. I will never leave you, never forsake you. God is always going to be with you if you come to him and if you surrender to him. His promises will be open and available to you through it all. And so even though it's a tough life, God's promises are rich 
And God's love is amazing. So I, I plead with you, come to him today. He wants to reveal himself to you even more than he already has through me and through whatever you've heard ever. And he's just waiting for you to take that step, to fall on your knees and say, Jesus, I need you. Please come to me. Anyway, let's pray. And I hope that wherever you are in Christ or out of Christ, that you either grow closer to him today or that you come to him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for this word. Thank you, Lord God, so much for the things that we learned in this word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you warned us, your children, Lord, to be careful, to not be lax in our faith and to stay strong in our faith. Because, Lord, if Peter, one of the greatest disciples, Lord God, of yours, your inner three circle, Peter, James, and John, Lord, could fall away from you the way that they all did, Lord, then any of us could be susceptible to that. So, Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters out there, Lord God, that they would never take their faith in, in you or their faith in Christ for granted. I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to seek your face daily and grow more in love with you daily, Lord God, and, and not ever get offended with whatever you do or whatever happens to them. Because, Lord, your, your will is good. Your will is love. Your will is kind. And so, Lord, all, all good things and all perfect gifts come from above, Lord God, not the evil that's in the world. So, Lord, if evil's happening to us at some point or whatever, Lord, you, you're allowing it, and you say it must be good for us, Lord, and we just must trust in you and trust in you 100% until we die. And I pray that all my brothers and sisters out there listening to me today would do that. Lord, if those are out there, any are out there that don't know you today, Lord, I pray that you would call them even stronger than you have been already, Lord God, to you. I pray that you would draw them to Christ Jesus and call them and beckon them, Lord God. Show them your continued love. Lord, reveal yourself to them even more and more and more and more and more and bring them to you, Lord God, and save their souls. Thank you, Lord, and we bless you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.